Chapter Six of Pope Pius the Tenth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle. Pope Pius the Tenth by Francis Alice Forbes. Chapter Six, The Aims of Pius the Tenth. With a firm and sure hand the new pope had traced out the program of his pontificate, the restoring of all things in Christ. It was not the first time he had used these words. We have already seen how, as a parish priest, bishop, and patriarch, they had been ever in his thoughts as the ideal and the aim of the sacerdotal life. The time had come when, from the chair of Peter, he was to set them before the world as the remedy for all its evils, calling on the faithful children of the church to help in the great work. Not only had he pointed out the evils to be dealt with, but the means of dealing with them, earnest prayer, the formation of a learned, zealous, and devout priesthood, religious education for the adult as well as for the child, wise efforts to ameliorate the condition of the poor and deal with the social question, Christian charity towards both friends and enemies, the faithful keeping of the commandments of God, the frequent use of the sacraments, thus was the restoring of all things in Christ to be accomplished. All his life Pope Pius X had been a strenuous worker. At sixty-eight he was still a hale and vigorous man. He rose early, making an hour's meditation and reciting his office before saying Mass, which he usually did at six o'clock. The day's work was carefully planned so that no time might be lost. A born organizer, the Pope soon acquainted himself thoroughly with all that concerned the administration of the government of the Church, and set on foot several necessary reforms in the work of the different congregations. Practical, punctual, and exact in all his undertakings, he required that others should be the same. There was not a question of the day in which his quick intelligence did not take a lively interest. He is a wonderful listener, said a French statesman, who had an audience with him in the early days of his pontificate. He grasps the matter under discussion quickly and completely, going straight to the point, which he sums up in a few precise words. To my mind he possesses the qualities of a true statesman, as much as Leo the Thirteenth. He sees in one comprehensive glance what is possible and what is not. What struck me still more in him was his calm, steadfast courage. There is no rashness about him. He will be slow to condemn but when he does, he will be inflexible. If difficult circumstances arise, he will show himself both a hero and a saint. Pius X had been brought up in no school of diplomacy, but the same goal may be reached by different roads. A man born of the people, says another writer, who has lived among working men, a student of the Bible and of the fathers of the church, of philosophy and theology, a man rich in experience and knowledge of men and things. Lovers of church music in all countries had hailed with joy the news of Cardinal Sarto's election to the papacy. The changes brought about in Venice had not passed unnoticed in the musical world. A need for reform was universally felt. May we not hope that your holiness will do for the world what you have done already for Venice? asked the French musician. It shall be done, and soon, was the reply. But it will be a hard fight, and not the only one, added the Pope thoughtfully, musing on the work that lay before him. Leo Thirteenth had more than once urged on the faithful the study of the traditional music of the church. He had even sent to Venice for Don Lorenzo Parosi to take charge of the music of the Sistine Chapel. 
but the Italians clung to their operatic effects, and the results had not been notable. On the 22nd of November, 1903, the motu proprio on sacred music laid down definite rules on the matter. A motu proprio is a document drawn up by the Pope on his own initiative. Nothing should have place in the church that is unworthy of the house of prayer and the majesty of God, said the Pope. Sacred music attributes to the fitness and splendor of the ecclesiastical rites, and since its principal office is to clothe with suitable melody the liturgical text proposed for the understanding of the faithful, its proper aim is to add greater efficacy to the words, in order that through it the people may more easily be moved to devotion and better disposed for the fruits of grace belonging to the celebration of the most holy mysteries. It must be holy, it must be true art, it must be universal. And since these qualities are to be found in the highest degree in the Gregorian chant, the more closely the composition of church music approaches to the Gregorian form, the more sacred and liturgical it becomes, and the more out of harmony it is with that supreme model, the less worthy it is of the temple. The motu proprio, however, did not exclude the use of modern music, provided that it was suitable to be associated with the liturgy. But theatrical music was not to be tolerated. Rules were laid down to guarantee the dignity and solemnity of church offices. Paid singers, especially women, were not to be employed in the choir. Bands and orchestral accompaniments were forbidden. Bishops were to institute special commissions of persons skilled in sacred music to see that the rules were carried out. Schools of sacred song were to be established in those seminaries where they did not already exist, and in town and country parishes. From his personal experiences at Tombolo, Salanzo, Tarvisio, and Mantua, Pius X knew that this was perfectly practicable. In the letter to Cardinal Respighi, Cardinal Vicar of Rome, written a few weeks later, the Pope laments once more that the beautiful musical tradition of the classical Roman school had almost totally disappeared. For the devout psalmody of the clergy, he writes, alluding to the singing of vespers, in which the people also used to join, there have been substituted interminable musical compositions on the words of the psalms all of them modelled on theatrical works and most of them of such poor quality that they would not be tolerated for a moment even in second-rate concerts gregorian chant he continues as it was handed down by the fathers and is found in the codices of the various churches is noble quiet easy to learn and of a beauty so fresh and so full of surprises that wherever it has been introduced it has never failed to excite real enthusiasm in the youthful singers the motu proprio was received with joy by many and with consternation by those who believed that operatic music was an attraction to the multitude we are going to have good music in church observed pius x to don parosi the pope has not been slow in carrying his words into effect said a writer in the ecclesiastical review May he live long, this lover of the sanctuary and of the beauty of holiness, and may his kindly face soften those hard hearts that can still bring themselves to sing bravura and not say buffo, boldly before the blessed sacrament, with fearful shriekings, tremblings, and trills. Some hearts were not softened. Pius had spoken the truth when he said, The pleasure of a depraved taste rises in hostility to sacred music for it cannot be denied that profane music, so easy of comprehension and so specially full of rhythm, finds favor in proportion to the want of a true and good musical education among those who listen to it. 
that reform was necessary in england may be shown by the impression made on a serious outsider by the music in use in some of our catholic churches you have a miss a singing duets with miss b to the words domini fili jesu christe as if they were singing oh that we two were bang or there's life in the old horse yet and two music which would disgrace a tenth-rate writer of musical songs or if it be a male choir you hear the thunderous basses without a note in tune and emasculated tenors engaged in worrying the most solemn words of the creed as though they were prized dogs and the creed a pack of rats it was not that the pope cared for nothing but classical church music and gregorian chant he was a lover of all good music whether sacred or secular but he considered that operatic music however beautiful was unsuited to the sanctuary it is possible to admire the pictures of watteau without desiring to see them used as altarpieces in his first encyclical pius had already touched on the question of catholic social action in his motu proprio of december nineteen o three he spoke still more definitely on the subject born and brought up in the midst of the people he could thoroughly understand their needs he foresaw also the dangers of rash and imprudent action which might rely too strongly on popular effort and influence it was not the movement towards social reform itself which stood in need of being checked but the extravagances of some over-enthusiastic reformers christian democracy he declared must have for its basis the principles of the catholic faith and morals and must be free of political parties his great predecessor leo the thirteenth having luminously traced the rules of christian popular action in his famous encyclicals continued pious his own desire was that those prudent rules should be exactly and fully observed he had therefore decided to collect them in an abridged form they might be for all catholics a constant rule of conduct after having laid down man's right to the use and permanent ownership of property he passed on to the obligations of justice between masters and men and the utility of aid societies and trade unions christian democracy he maintained had for its special aim the solution of the difficulties between labor and capital but in order to do this effectually it must be based on the principles of the catholic faith and morality it must not be made use of for party purposes it must be a beneficent activity for the people founded on the natural law and the precepts of the gospel catholic writers when upholding the cause of the people and the poor were to be aware of using language calculated to inspire ill-feeling between classes here as in other matters obedience to the laws of god and of the church was to be the means to the solution of the many difficulties which existed godliness is profitable to all things he said in his first encyclical and when this is whole and vigorous in very truth the people shall sit in the beauty of peace in nineteen o five an apostolic letter to the italian bishops defined still more clearly the lines of catholic social action such he says is the power of the truth and morality taught by jesus christ that even the material well-being of individuals of the family and of human society receive support and protection the civilization of the world is christian civilization the more frankly christian the more frankly true the more lasting and the more productive of good fruit the more it withdraws from the christian ideal so much the feebler does it become to the great detriment of society the church has been throughout the ages the guardian and protector of christian civilization what prosperity and happiness what peace and concord what respectful submission to authority what excellent government would be established and maintained in the world if the perfect ideal christian civilization could be everywhere realized 
but given the constant warfare of flesh with spirit of darkness with light of satan with god so great a good in its full measure can scarcely be hoped for yet this is no reason for losing courage the church goes fearlessly on and while extending the kingdom of god in places where it has not yet been preached she strives by every means to repair the losses inflicted on the kingdom already acquired once more the only means that can achieve the desired end are clearly pointed out to reinstate jesus christ in the family the school and society to re-establish the principle that human authority represents that of god to take closely to heart the interests of the people especially those of industrial and agricultural workers to endeavor to make laws conformable to justice to amend or suppress those which are not so to defend and support the rights of god in everything and the no less sacred rights of the church what can i do for the church asked the lady of pius x at a private audience teach the catechism was a prompt and perhaps rather unexpected reply it is manifestly impossible said the pope to re-establish all the institutions found useful in former times instruments must be suited to the work intended there must be unity cooperation and working suitable methods adapted to the times in all catholic social work there must be submission to the ecclesiastical authority let everyone therefore try to ameliorate the economic condition of the people supporting and promoting institutions which conduce to this end and let all our beloved sons who are devoting themselves to catholic action listen again to the words which spring so spontaneously from our heart amid the bitter sorrows which daily surround us we will say with the apostle st paul if there be any consolation in christ if any comfort comes to us from your charity fulfill ye our joy that you being of one mind agreeing in sentiment with humility and due submission not seeking your own convenience but the common good and imprinting on your hearts the mind which was in christ jesus our saviour let him be the beginning of all your undertakings all whatsoever you do in word or in work all things do ye in the name of the lord jesus christ let him be the end of your every work for of him and by him and in him are all things to him be the glory for ever amen during the whole life of pius x the bible had been his favorite study every encyclical he issued bears witness to his intimate knowledge and love of both the old testament and the new the words in which he insistently recommended the careful and loving study of holy writ to priests and people would greatly astonish those of our separated brethren who persist in believing that the catholic church forbids the reading of the bible by her children when receiving representations of the society of st jerome for the diffusion of the holy scriptures he spoke with the greatest praise of the splendid work of this most deserving institution with which the space of fifteen months had been able to give out more than two hundred thousand copies of the gospels to those catholic theologians who were engaged in historical studies and biblical research he always gave the warmest encouragement the catholic faith has nothing to fear from knowledge but much from ignorance was a truth that he more than once averred the pope who in his youth had entered keenly into all the games and sports of the seminary life was a strong believer in schemes for the physical development of youth i bless with all my heart your games and amusements he said on occasion of a display in the vatican gardens by athletic clubs i approve of your gymnastics your cycle boat and foot races your mountain climbing and the rest for these pastimes will keep you from the idleness which is the mother of every vice and because of friendly contests will be the symbol of emulation in the practice of virtue be strong to keep and defend your faith 
when so many are losing it be strong to remain devoted sons of the church when so many are rebelling against her be strong to conquer the obstacles which you will meet in the practice of the catholic religion for your own merit and for the good of your brothers to the pilgrimages that flock from all parts of the world to do him homage pius the tenth addressed like words of sympathy and encouragement i bless you all great and small rich and poor he said to a band of peasants from moravia the good that they may remain good those that have strayed from the right path that they may turn back to it parents that they may bring up their children well children that they may honor the white hairs of their parents and the country that has nourished them tell the rich to be generous in almsgiving he said on another occasion tell the poor to be proud of being chosen as living representations of christ on earth bid them neither envy nor hate others but have resignation and patience it was to those of his own province that a special tenderness was revealed if i could tell you all that is in my heart he said one day to a pilgrimage from Trevisio, when night comes on i should still be speaking it was hard for him to believe that he would never see his beloved venice again walking one day in the vatican gardens with a friend he heard in the distance a shrill whistle hark he said wistfully perhaps that is the train for venice but much as he loved his own people there was no thought either in his mind or in theirs that honors might come to them through his position thank god we are all able to support ourselves said one of his sisters soon after his election we need trouble him for nothing poor dear she added compassionately he has all the poor people of the world to think of now they had their own places in the pope's private chapel and on gala feasts at st peter's that was their only privilege and it was all that they asked it was said of the new pope that his usual expression was one of overwhelming sadness and to those who only saw him in public this might have seemed true his humble spirit hated pomp and display and the burden of his huge responsibility lay heavy on his soul when borne through the crowd on the sedia gestatoria he seemed more than ever conscious of the weight of the cross laid on him by his divine master his face amid this supreme triumph spoke of the vanity of all earthly glory he had ever the look of one who was weighed down by the sins and sorrows of mankind a look befitting the vicar of him of whom we speak as the man of sorrows wrote wilfred ward in st peter's he would allow no outbreak of the applause which had become customary at papal services it was not fitting that the servant should be applauded in his master's house he said sternly as he gave the order so it was in silence that he passed thenceforth from among his people but a silence tense and trembling with an emotion that would occasionally break out in spite of all attempts at restraint but those who knew him intimately had another tale to tell the genial and merry spirit that had been his of old though overshadowed at first by the burden he had to bear was by no means dead he had the art of making himself all things to all men he could be gay and merry with the young wonderfully tender and gentle with those in sorrow or suffering he had the greatest heart said one who knew him well of any man alive End of chapter six